Once again, welcome to Harvest Bible Chapel. We're so glad that you're here worshiping with us today. Uh, my name is Pastor Micah, and we're going to jump into God's Word together this morning. So if you've got a Bible, go ahead and grab that. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, one of those, we'd love for you to do that as well. Um, we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 5 today. So we've been going through this relationship series, and we're kind of coming to the, the main go-to passage on marriage here in Ephesians chapter 5 now, and that's where we're going to kind of be landing. But before we jump into that, two quick things of the sermon this morning. We're, I'm actually going to have Courtney come up here and join me at the end, and we're going to just do a question and answer time. And so for like the last 10 or 15 minutes, we're just going to field questions from you guys on anything that you have about marriage, maybe something from this sermon today, maybe from, from a past sermon in this series, or something I haven't talked about that you just have a question about, okay? So if you have any questions that you would like for us to try to answer, no promises there, um, but we will definitely try, uh, you can text those to the number on the screen. Do we have that number, Billy? There we go. Uh, text them to this number, and uh, we will get to those at the end of the service. Go ahead and write that down on your paper because you, it won't be up there the whole time. So when you think about something later, you're going to be like, oh, what was that number? All right, here it is. Write it down. Take a picture with your phone. Um, and then just text in your questions as we go today, and we'll hit those at the end of the service. Second thing I wanted to touch on real quick is that today is probably, out of everything in the series so far, today is going to be the most marriage-specific message of all of them because this is, Ephesians 5 is a marriage passage. Um, and so if you're in here today and you're not in that boat right now, um, that's okay, and I would just encourage you to continue to press in and listen and learn um, some brothers and sisters in Christ who are. Uh, you have some friends, you have some family, you have some people in your life, you have some people in your small group who are, and uh, maybe something you're going to learn today, God's going to use you to share with them later, and uh, it can still be profitable for you as you're helping disciple others as well. So let's just all kind of press in today and see what the Lord has for us. So with that in mind... Um, when I was thinking about marriage, you know, marriage is the, one of the oldest establishments in the history of the world, right? Like it was from the very beginning, God designed it, and yet precisely what marriage is and how it works and what it's all about is still kind of a mystery to most people. Uh, I think if you stopped 10 different people on the street and asked them, hey, what's marriage all about? You would probably get 10 completely different answers, Right? And so I just kind of was doing some reading this week, and I came across some, some quotes, some, 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 some summations of this is what marriage is. So uh, how about you listen to these? Um, first one said this, I love being married. It's so great to find that one special person that you want to annoy for the rest of your life. Um, that was from Rita Rudner. She's a comedian. And I think some people, they think about marriage like that. That marriage is just to find somebody to kind of do life with and entertain one another and kind of be there as a companion. And it's definitely some of that, but I think it's more than that. Um, another philosopher for, of our day, um, the great um, Homer Simpson, uh, said, uh, no, please don't eat me. I have a wife and kids. Eat them. I think a lot of people have that view of marriage as well, that it's all about me. Right? It's all about making me happy and protecting me and watching them from over me, making me comfortable and and it's, it's about me. Um, Groucho Marx said this about marriage. He said, marriage is a wonderful institution, but who wants to live in an institution? I think that's a growing sentiment in our culture today about marriage. That it's this confining social construct that I get stuck in. And it's like serving a jail sentence and I have to, who wants to do that? A lot of people think about marriage that way. That's why marriage rates are declining quite a bit in our country. My favorite quote was this, marriage is like a game of chess. 
except the board is flowing water, the pieces are made of smoke, and no move you make really has any effect on the outcome. Um, that's from everybody's favorite comedian, Jerry Seinfeld. Um, but I think that's the way a lot of people feel about marriage. It's just this mystery of water and smoke, and I don't know how to navigate this, and I don't know what to do with this, and it seems like no matter what I do, it doesn't work. Because most people are trying to get their definition and their understanding of marriage from their own perspective, from their own thoughts, from their own experiences. But thankfully, the one who created marriage also created a book that tells us how it works and how it works best and what we can do to follow his design for marriage. So with that in mind, what you're going to see today is that biblical marriage is two becoming one to fulfill their roles and glorify God. Biblical marriage, if I could define it very simply, is this. Two becoming one to fulfill their roles and glorify God. So let me show you that here in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22. We'll start there. He says, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Then he goes on to talk to husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies, he who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it, just as Christ does. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Now, there's a whole lot in that passage to unpack. We're going to get to some of it today. But here's the first thing I want you to see from this passage about marriage is that marriage is first and foremost about oneness. It's about oneness. It's about two becoming one. When he says there that the man and the woman will leave their mother and father and become one flesh, that's in verse 31, that they'll become one flesh. That's God's perfect plan for marriage is oneness. One flesh literally means Two beings becoming one entity. Right? One in everything, in every part of your life. One physically, obviously, as you consummate the marriage. One emotionally, as you start to grow together and lean on one another and feel and empathy and sympathy and walk in life together. One relationally, as you choose what relationships you're going to be a part of and which ones you're not and navigating social interactions. One financially, as you're making decisions and as you're looking ahead and as you're walking together in that, and most importantly, one spiritually, as you come together to worship the same God, the same Savior at the same church, walking together, oneness. I think maybe in our culture, maybe the easiest way to think about this is a team, that oneness means that we are one team working together. And sometimes I think that what we see in marriages is not so much a team. Being one team does not mean working side by side. Right? Think about like a factory. 
like, a, like an assembly line on a factory. And you got, I'm, here, I'm sitting here doing my job, and you're over here doing your job, and we're working side by side, but we're not really working together, right? Like I'm doing my thing, and you're doing your thing, and it all kind of flows to the same place, but we're not working together as a team. Simply functioning side by side in marriage is not oneness. It's also a team is not working apart from one another. If you think about like a company that has you know, this big giant corporation, they got one department over here working on this thing and one department over here working on this thing, and they're both working under the same company, but they're working completely apart from one another on two different agendas. That's not oneness. That's not what God has for us. Right? It's also obviously not working against one another. Like two coworkers competing for the top spot and trying to one-up each other to get in that top position. That's not oneness. That's not a team. God calls us to be one with our spouse, to be one team. We, we have some friends that um, have this little, it's always uh, either, it's team turkey versus team baby Jesus. Okay, we've got, we got pictures for this. Show them the t-shirts. They have t-shirts made in the whole thing. Right? Like, there's like, and so the whole debate is this. Should Thanksgiving be its own thing? Should it get its own time to shine? Or is it just like in the way and let's just get to Christmas, right? Like should, should we wait going and they have two different teams that they, that they play for uh, in their family? But that's kind of a silly little debate. But what happens when there's two teams on a more serious issue, right? What happens when there's team saver versus team spender in the marriage? That doesn't play out real well, does it? What if there's team career versus team family? And you're button heads on that. What if there's team Democrat versus team Republican? Now we're like, ooh, did you even, can you say that in church, Mike? I don't think you can even say that, right? Like, no, here's, here's the real serious one. What if it's team toilet paper over versus team toilet paper under, right? Who's having that issue in their house, right? Like, like the whole thing crumbles at that point. What if it's team Christian versus team non-Christian? Some of these things are serious. Some of them aren't. But some of these are true impediments to oneness. It's impossible for us to be one if we're playing for two. God wants us to be one, one team. God's perfect plan for marriage is oneness. So let me just ask you, how many teams are there in your house? Are you guys playing for two different teams on some of these issues? God wants oneness. And then the second thing we see in this passage, Ephesians chapter 5, is what we call the marriage wheel. And the marriage wheel is all about roles. So this is point number two. The marriage wheel is all about roles in the marriage. And I've got a little graphic here that we're going to fill in as we go along. And, um, but the most important part about the marriage wheel is actually not the wheel itself. It's the hub. It's the center, it's the part that connects it all together. And in the center, the center, the hub of the marriage wheel is God. God has to be the center, right? If you were at our marriage retreat last uh, year, by the way, this is gonna be a little bit of a review for you, um, but hopefully it'll still be helpful. So God's at the center, and we get this from verse um, 32 there. Look at your Bibles, it says, this mystery, what mystery? The mystery about marriage and how it works that this mystery refers to Christ and the church. It's all about him. It's from him. It's under him. It's for him. It's about him. 
Marriage is meant to be a picture of the gospel. That we were broken, we were sinners, we were rebellious, we were headed for wrath and hell, and Christ could not stand for that, and so he came down to save his bride, to rescue us, to love us, to sacrifice himself for us, and to lead us out of sin and into everlasting life. And we as Christians, as the church, we follow our great Savior. It's a picture of the gospel. And if you have not yet repented of your sin and chose to follow Jesus, you can do that today. But that's what he's talking about here. He says it's a picture of the gospel. And then he goes on in verse 33 and gets really specific. And he says, he says husbands, love your wives. You see, God designed women to need love. That's what he designed us. He designed women to need love. And the way they feel love is through feeling security. That's the next security. That women have this need to feel secure and they feel most secure when they feel loved. But not just women, men too. He says, he tells the women in verse 33 to respect her husband. Because God designed men to need respect, or what we're going to use for this word is significance. Up above at the top of the wheel, underneath husbands, right? Significance. God designed us as men to, to need to feel significant in our lives, and we feel most significant when we feel respected by the people closest to us. But here's the tricky thing. Although he designed us for love and security and respect and significance, he did not design it for us to get that first and foremost through our spouses. The first place that we should be looking to feel secure and to feel significant is in our identity in Christ. That's why God is at the center. Right? We need to get it from him first and foremost. Ladies, Ultimately, your security lies in the gracious, loving, sovereign Savior of the universe. Men, your significance is found ultimately in your imputed righteousness that you received from your Savior. We don't find these things in ourselves. We don't find them in our circumstances. We don't find them first and foremost in our spouses. We find them in Jesus. That's why he's the center. And once we do that, then and only then will we really be able to fulfill our roles in marriage as God's called us to do. So let's look at those roles here this morning. They're here in Ephesians chapter 5. So why, wives, you have three roles that we see here. The first one, the top of the uh, list on the left-hand side of your diagram is follow. Follow, ladies, Look at verse 22. It says, um, wives, submit to your own husbands. Now, let's just pause there. I know that word submit is not a super cool word in our culture anymore. It's pretty countercultural, actually. A lot of people don't like that word. Uh, because in our minds, submission means I'm being forced to do something. Right? It means that someone in a power is abusing their power and forcing me into submission. It means that I'm being humiliated by someone who is above me. That's what we think about when we think about submission. That's why we don't like it. But that's not the way that Paul's using it here. That's not the way that the Bible thinks about submission. The Bible thinks about submission as a yielding. 
Think about when you come to like a four-way stop and there's another car there and you wait and you yield and you let them go first. You're choosing that. Choosing to yield to your husband. It's about trusting Jesus in the role that he's given you that he's going to work it all out if you follow what he's asked you to do. It's about being humble rather than humiliated as Christ was. God God himself came in the flesh and took on human form and allowed himself to be killed for something he never did. He humbled himself. That's what all of us, men, women, that's what all of us should be running after. So we should not be surprised when God asks us to do things like this. Ladies, you can submit to your husband because you are already secure in Jesus Christ. I think another thing that trips us up on this is we start to think about submission that it means that I'm, that I'm lesser than. We think it's an issue of equality, right? That, that if I submit, then I'm, I'm saying I'm less than him and, and I'm not, I'm equal to him. Well, you are exactly right that in God's image, we are all equally made, right? We are all equally. This is not, ladies, this is not about you being less intelligent or less capable or less talented or any of that. This is about a heart that loves Jesus enough to do what he's called you to do. And as you do this, as you submit to your husband, you're actually coming underneath the protection of God himself. Because you're submitting yourself in obedience to the Lord, and he is then bringing his hand of protection around you and through your husband. If you struggle with this idea of submission and equality, the Trinity for a second. In the Trinity, we have three beings, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. All equally God, all equally powerful, all equally God, no one even questions that. And yet, we see that they have three very different and distinct roles, and in those roles, they submit to one another. God the Son comes to earth, and what does he say? I'm only here to do the will of the Father. Jesus the Son submitting himself to the Father, and then as Jesus ascends back into heaven, he says, I'll send you the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit comes and says what Christ tells him to say. So even though they're all equally God, for the way it's designed to work, they submit to their roles so that they can serve and they can achieve what they have designed it to do. So ladies, your first role is to follow. Your second role is to finish. Next word there is finish. This comes from Genesis 2, 18, when God first created man and woman, should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. I love that word helper there. Sometimes, again, we think about that word helper as a lesser than word. If I'm the helper, then that means I'm not the leader, so that means I'm second not first. And we look down on helper is the same word that God uses in the New Testament to describe the Holy Spirit. That the Holy Spirit comes to be our helper. And if you've ever known or experienced the Holy Spirit, his power, his essentialness, his life-changing ability for us, I think we would all agree that even though he is our helper, he definitely is not less than anyone else. 
gentle ladies, God has designed you to be the helper for your husband. To come and to, to fill in his gaps. To, to help shore up his weak spots. Let me ask you this question. What advantage does your husband have because of you? What are you bringing to the relationship that is helping him lead better? That's helping him live better, that's helping your family move forward? How are you filling in his weaknesses? Over 15 years of marriage, Courtney has done this in countless ways for me. But what's interesting to me is before we even ever got married, ministry, I was in worship ministry, and I sang, I played a little bit of guitar, not much, and I started leading worship, and she came alongside, and she was way, way more talented way more educated, way more able at music than I was, still is today. And she came alongside, and even though I was the one inside me and teaching me and helping me and growing me and filling in those gaps, and she never resented it, she never complained about it, she just came in and helped. And together we were able to do way more for the Lord than either one of us could have done alone. This is what it looks like to help. So ladies, you're supposed to follow, you're supposed to finish. And then lastly, your last role is to fan. The last one is fan. This comes from verse 33 that we read earlier when it says, wives, respect your husbands. Ladies, I just want you to understand something today. That if you're married, if you're a wife, when it comes to respect, you set the tone for how all other people will respect your husband. They see you as being the closest person to him, the one who knows him the best, the one who's around him the most, and they figure out how respectable of a man he is and how much they should respect him in turn. Your extended family, your kids, your friends, your coworkers, your small group members, like they all look at how are you respecting your husband, especially in public. And you're setting that bar. And God wants you to be his biggest fan, right? Even when he's a doofus, right? Like sometimes we are. Like they want, he wants you to come and, and love him and support him and respect him. And I want you to just remember as you're doing this that, that God's called you to be his wife, not his mom, right? You don't need to speak down to him. You need to speak into him. You need to be building him up. Be careful how you talk about him in public. I think, unfortunately, too often I'll, I'll find myself um, not in the circle, but next to or overhearing where a circle of ladies are together and they're having dinner, they're hanging out or whatever, and they're just kind of talking, they're having fun. And then pretty soon one person starts, well, you won't believe what Dan did the other day and blah, 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 blah. Sorry, Dan, I just happened to see you out of the corner of my eye. Not you, brother. Um, so I was going to use a different name there. I just, it just kind of caught me. Um, you don't believe what he did the other day, and da 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 da. And then the other, so pretty soon somebody else comes in, well, that's nothing compared to what Jerry did, and blah, 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 blah. We don't have any Jerry's in our church, so that's a safe one. Um, and you know, it, they, it just becomes this competition about whose husband's the worst. And all the time we're just tearing down our spouse. Even when it's in fun. Sometimes you'll be like at a party or something, and then couples are sitting around and they're talking and they're joking and they're poking fun, and pretty soon it starts becoming like this sarcastic cutting on our spouses. Sometimes you don't know how deep that's cutting, especially in front of other people. Just be really careful how you speak about your husband in public and how you love and respect him that way. So ladies, those are your three roles. Follow, 
fan, uh, finish, and fan. As you fulfill your God-given role from your identity in Christ, you will build up your husband's significance in your marriage. Now, that shouldn't be all from you. It's not all on you. His significance should first and foremost be coming from Christ. But as he starts there, you're able to add to that and build that up and continue to keep that wheel turning as you do your roles. Now, men, your turn. Paul addresses you in verse 25. And husbands, you have three roles as well. Your first role on the right side of your diagram is love. In verse 25, he says, husbands, love your wives. That's the first command that Paul gives, which tells us it's the most important command. Your first and primary role to your wife is not to lead. It is to love. That comes before everything else. And this love is not a feeling, it's not an emotion. We talked about this before. It's a choice. It's an action that you take. I've used this numerous times. I'm going to keep hammering this because you need to have this ingrained in your heart. Biblical love is this. You be for me. Men, you more than anybody need to get this. It's choosing to put her first. It says it right there in the text, right? Love your wives as Christ loved the church and what? Gave himself for her. Christ's love is a sacrificial love. That's what you're called to. And sacrificial love is going to cost you something. It's not cheap. It's not easy. God doesn't call us as men to do the easy thing. He calls us to do the hard thing. And loving like this is hard. He says, love her sacrificially. And then he goes on in having cleansed her with the washing of the word. I love that picture there. Think of that as this spiritual servant coming in to kneel down and wash the feet of the one they care for. Man, he's calling us to wash our wives with the word of God, to be a spiritual servant to her. I think he said it this way because he knows that men, we like to, to clean things that we love. Notice this? We don't clean much, and we don't clean well, but we do clean the things that we love, right? Like it's summer, now you see all the guys out in the driveway, what are they doing? They're washing the car, right? Or they're washing the boat, all right? Some of you are cleaning your guns, you're cleaning your golf clubs, you're cleaning your guitar. Like whatever it is that we care about, we clean. Men, are you washing your wife with the word of God? Are you cleaning her as one who loves her? Are you speaking it to her? Are you exhorting her? Are you encouraging her with it? And before you can do any of that, guess what? You have to know it. You have to be in it. You have to be studying it for yourself. He says, love her, care for her as they do their own bodies. You see that there? Further down? You know what? We have no problem caring for ourselves, do we? Like just straw poll this morning. Um, how, men, how many, of you, how many of you missed a meal this week? Yeah, that's what I thought. Okay. How many of you uh, went out of the house this week without shoes or clothes on? How many of you didn't stop the vehicle before you slammed into the one in front of you? 
No, we do all those things because it's naturally easy for us to care for ourselves. That takes top priority most of the time, is that. Men, first, you're supposed to love. Second role for men is to lead. Look at verse 23. He's not actually talking to men here. He's talking to women, but we catch a, we catch a glimpse here of our second role. He says, wives, submit to your husbands because they are the head of the marriage just as Christ is the head of the church. In both places, that word head there means leader. See, men, you are the leader of your home. God doesn't ask you, he doesn't give you an opt-in, opt-out option. He declares to you, you are the leader. The question is, are you a good leader or a bad leader? The leadership's not optional. And good leaders take responsibility, not just authority in the home. It's, leadership is not just sitting around dictating to her what's going to happen barking out orders and demanding that she do what you say. That's not good leadership. Leadership is getting up and doing something. You know what needs to be done? Get up and do something. Take response. Get a babysitter and plan it. Don't put that all on her. It's important for you to take a vacation with the kids. Great. Get together. Plan it together. Be involved. Don't put that all on her. With kids need discipline, you should be right there taking care of that. Spiritually leading in your home, you need to be the one saying, let's pray, let's read the Bible, let's do a family devotion. Like, you need to be taking leadership and responsibility in these areas. Leaders take responsibility and leaders make hard decisions. Sometimes you're going to have to make a hard decision and it's your responsibility to do that and to own that. Don't put that back on her. Now, again, good leaders get input for decisions, right? Like, like, she, she knows some things better than you. She does some things better than you. She, you can amen, ladies. It's okay. Like, we know, right? It would be foolish not to talk about it. Remember, you're a team. You're working together. But in the end, whose responsibility is it to own the decision? It's yours. You're the leader. It says here that Christ is the leader of the church and is its savior. Such an important nuance. Now, Please, men, listen, listen. Paul is not saying that you are the savior of your wife. Please do not hear that this morning, okay? You are not her savior. But as Jesus sacrificed himself as the savior of your home, you should be a servant leader. That's what Jesus did. You need to put her first, put the kids first above yourself. I oftentimes get this question, so let me go ahead and see if I can hit it now so it doesn't come up in Q&A later. Um, so what happens when you come to a decision and the husband and wife can't agree? When you can't come to like, we've got to make a decision on this and we just can't get on the same page, what do you do? Well, ultimately, God gives that responsibility to the man, that he has to make the final call. That he has to pull what I call the, the trump card and say, baby, I love you, but this is what we're going to do. Now, men, please hear me here. If you are doing that often in your marriage, you're losing. Right? If you're constantly having to trump decisions without getting her on the team, then you are not being a good leader. 
in 15 years of marriage, maybe once or twice in our entire marriage have I had to say, I love you, but we're going to do this. Most of the time, you're working as a team, you're talking about it, you're praying about it together, you're coming to a conclusion where you're both on the same page, moving in the same direction. That's oneness. That's what God wants. And men, just a little tip, because there will come a day when you might have to pull the trump card to make it easier to swallow, let her win everything else that you can. Right, like when it comes to, like she can pick the curtains and she can pick the restaurant and she can pick the movie. Like you don't need to be all of that. Save your capital for the big important things that matter to the leadership of your family. Love her enough to be sacrificial and give her everything else. The last role for men is learn. Learn. First Peter 3, 7 is the verse for this one. You can look at the screen. It says, likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Peter tells us here to live with her in an understanding way. That's the key term. You need, men, you need to work to understand her. You need to learn your wife. You need to get a PhD in your wife. Nobody should know her better than you do, right? Nobody should know her, her likes, her dislikes, her, her moods, her, 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 her work, her whatever it is. Like, you should know her better than anybody. But it takes work. It takes listening. It takes opening yourself up. And part of this is not diminishing her view of the world, Sometimes as men, we tend to trample on our wife's view of the world because it's different than ours. Guess what? It should be. She's a woman. You're a man. (laughs) You're going to see things differently. You see through different lenses, and that's not a bad thing. Remember, God's given her to you to finish you, to fill in those holes. And when you're busy trampling on her instead of learning her, you're not helping anybody. Learn her. Never stop learning her. And again, to do that, you have to listen. Any of you who know Courtney and I well at all, I'm sure will be shocked to find out um, that our communication styles are a little bit different. Um, we don't quite do that the same. She, she loves stories. She loves details. She loves details and details and and I'm just kind of more of like a bottom line, just give it to me straight, just, just get to it, land the plane. And so I'll just confess, there's often times where I struggle to listen well. But I once was sharing this with, a, with a, a, an older pastor, and he, he said this to me. He said, um, you listen not because you care about the story. You listen because you care about the person telling the story. Men, we need to get that, right? Told you yesterday, or this is the 10th time or the 20th time, you're learning her because you're growing with her. Men, love, lead, learn. As you fulfill your God-given role from your identity in Christ, you will build up your wife's security in your marriage. Now, again, she's not getting it primarily from you. She first gets her security from her Savior. 
You're just coming along and you're just feeding the fire. Right? And you're just helping that grow and continue. And as you're doing your side and she's doing her side, then we get to point number three today, which is simply this. Keep it turning. Keep the wheel turning. Right? And as we keep the wheel turning, we will glorify God through the roles that he's given us. So how do you do it? How do you keep the wheel turning? Own your side. Ladies, follow, finish, fan. Men, own your side. Love, lead, learn. That's all you can do. You cannot do their side. You cannot make them do their side. You need to leave their side alone and let God handle that. You do your side and keep the wheel turning. And when you're both doing your sides, that wheel can get going pretty good. Killing it, man. Like you are just like lights out, keeping it 100. Like it's all in. The wheel is going. If you don't have God at the center, if God's not the hub, no matter how well you're spinning that wheel, it's going to come flying off. Because the hub's what keeps it connected. So we have to keep God at the center. Then we're doing our roles. The wheel's turning. And as you do that, the grace of God and the favor of God will flood your marriage. It won't be perfect. It, it, it won't be peaceful all the time. You'll still have stuff, but you will feel, you will experience, you will see the favor of God on your marriage, on your family, as you fulfill what he's called you to do. This is biblical marriage. Two become one to fulfill their roles and glorify God. That's what we're going after, okay? All right, that's the end of the message. We're gonna go into Q&A time. So I'm gonna have Courtney come on up. Chris is gonna come up. He's gonna moderate for us. If you still got some questions, it's not too late. We got the number up here. Text, talk about those. And we'll try to get through as many as we can. Thank you, sir. Yeah, you can, you can turn and watch us. That's good. All right. Before we get started, could you have the graphic up there about the both fulfill your role thing? Like, like the, whole, the whole thing? As you fulfill your role, God Oh, can you put up the application point for the men at the end? There you go. All right. So, um, if you've got questions, text those in. Chris is going to give them to us, and we'll go from there. Go ahead. I feel so much higher than you. Hello. Um, all right, so this has been a great series. I know that in my small group, we've had a lot of really good discussions. I'm sure you guys have too. So here's a question that came in, uh, and we're just going to go for it right away. So how does a wife follow and yield and submit to her husband when he isn't loving or leading her? Hey, here we go. I've been talking for 30 minutes. Yeah. It's your turn. Um, I know it's hard, but it goes back to the center. Remembering that God is the, the, the part that fulfills you um, in security. And we do everything first and foremost unto the Lord. So as you are loving uh, or not, those three things to someone who is not fulfilling their side of the wheel yet, um, you're not doing it just because of them or what you're getting out of it. You're doing it because you're doing it unto the Lord. So Lord has fulfilled you in all of those things, the loving and the leading and the uh, learning. He knows you better than anyone else. And so in 
your husband's time of not fulfilling his part yet is you're getting those things from the Lord um, and then letting that fulfill you and helping you to be able to do those things to him. Um, it, it goes back to the gospel, remembering that what Jesus has done for us. Um, we didn't deserve it. We weren't doing it. We weren't loving him well, but yet he still loved and sacrificed himself for us. So we do that to the Lord first and exhibit that to our spouse. And that as we do that, we begin to build significance in him. Um, and then it shows, it starts, those things start to come out of it. Um, and it takes some time and learning. But as they feel significant and feel respected, then it can start opening the doors of conversation to feeling like you're not just nagging at him or always putting him down or telling him how bad of a job he's doing as a husband. But he begins to get fulfilled in that. And then he starts responding, I do, do love you and I do care about you and I want to lead you and, oh, you're, you're responding differently to me. Um, and, so it, and sometimes it doesn't. And honestly, the Lord will honor and bless your faithfulness he will care for you in ways. I use the example of uh, um, Jacob and Leah and Rachel, the whole debacle of two sisters getting married to the same man, and it was a big hot mess, and he didn't really want Leah, and she was very, very unloved. She had a very unloving, unfulfilling marriage, and the Lord saw that, and he blessed her with children and, and made the other sister barren um, during a, for a, a long season of time. And you saw in the progression of how she named her children. It started with Reuben, and it was like my despair, my, oh, the Lord, you know, like basically my life stinks and my husband doesn't love me. And then by the time she gets to her third son, Judah, um, it's like the praise of the Lord. My, I'm, I'm fulfilled in the Lord. And so um, you, that's where the hope comes from. And you know what's interesting in that story? Rachel dies young after her second child and Leah lives the remainder of her days with her husband and when Jacob is buried he's buried with Leah not Rachel and so there's something to be said for that faithfulness and continuing to walk in that that the Lord will honor even when he doesn't do his part awesome all right a lot about the importance of communication in a marriage so what are some real practical ways that you can keep communication strong in your marriage? Yeah. Um, well, I think the first step is um, what's true for communication in every area of our lives, uh, which is, like, you just got to work at it. Like, sometimes I think we think it should just come naturally. Like, you're living in the same house. Like, obviously, you should be talking and communicating. Um, but it doesn't. Um, just like it doesn't happen at work and it doesn't happen at school and it doesn't happen anywhere else unless you work at it. Um, so I think one is just being cognizant of like this is something that we need to stay on top of. It's something that easily kind of slides off the table um, for that. Um, another thing that I think would be the, that I heard actually from another pastor a while back um, that he kind of gave, he said there's, there's kind of four checkpoints that we use for our marriage um, to, to make sure our communication is staying tight. Um, he said you need 15 minutes every day, like a 15 minute connect with your spouse at least every day. And I know if you've got little kids and stuff, trying to find that sometimes is difficult, but you know, some, somewhere between them going to bed and you like conking out, like find 15 minutes. So 15 minutes a day, um, one night a week, 
where you're having dinner together for a couple hours with no interruptions, no kids, whether that's a date night, or whether that's like put the kids to bed and then have a late kind of dinner together or whatever, like get, somehow get a couple hours a week together. Um, one overnight, some time together, you know, um, whatever that might look like for you, and then one extended period together a year uh, where you're getting just you and your spouse, whether that's a vacation, whether that's a long weekend, whether that's, you know, whatever, whatever that looks like. I know sometimes that feels hard and daunting. We have little kids and have for a long time, like trying to find somebody to, to watch them that many times throughout the year overnight can be hard. Um, but I think having those kind of things built into your marriage can help just keep a regular rhythm of communication um, we do some of those well. We do some of those kind of well. Um, and, uh, th- and the other thing that we do, uh, or we used to do a lot, we do a little less uh, recently, I think, but um, is have like a, a weekly checkpoint meeting. So like usually like used to be at Sunday nights when the kids went to bed before we started the week, we would sit down and just kind of go through the calendar for the week. Okay, what do we got going on? When are you going to be here? When are you going to be there? What's going on with the kids here? And we just kind of like a good hour where we're just kind of walking through the week and looking at what's, What's this all look like? So we're on the same page, and we know that we're um, one team working together and moving forward. So, I was going to say, um, and uh, making sure that you're not um, there's timing is important. And if there's something that's not going well, or you're needing to address something, but taking the time to say, "Hey, um, I know this isn't a good time, but we need to talk this week. Can you? Can we make a?" a plan to talk and meet. And it doesn't have to go out, don't have to be spend money. And let them know kind of what it's about so that they're not like freaking out all week long that you're not, you what's going on? Like, you know, what's she gonna say kind of thing. But just kind of giving some foundation. I need to discuss some stuff over this kid's schedule for the summer. Let's let's talk, okay? And, um, or hey, some, we were, we haven't been communicating well. We've been kind of bickering at each other. I wanna talk about that later this week. So just make, make it intentional. You have to be intentional to communicate well. All right. So this topic of submission is a big thing in our culture. So, so Courtney, I've got another one for you. It's, kinda, it's a little bit different than the first one, so if you want to add any more to it. So as a woman and wife, how do you submit to your husband but not lose your own identity? Okay. Um, well, I just think that that's, submission is not changing who you are, ever. Um, God made us in his image. We are all image bearers as women and men. Um, There's even pastors and and theologians have talked about how that even as the woman was created, he took the rib from Adam, which is from his side, or it's the imagery of that walking alongside each other, that we're here together. Um, and so there is not a separation of who you are. It's those balances between um, his strengths and weaknesses and your strengths and weaknesses and how that they kind of, they blend. And they oftentimes, we, you know, they'll use, even the world uses the thing, well, opposites attract. You know, like, well, yeah, they do because there's things that we finish in one another um, in that way. And so you, it's not losing yourself. Um, I think as women, we oftentimes struggle with lots of things. And I think it gets more of because of the responsibilities and the many, many hats that we wear. Um, we wear the hat of wife. We wear the hat of mother. We wear the hat of, you know, uh, Uber driver and um, chef and um, meal planner and 
you know, financier, financier kind of thing person. You have all these hats that you wear and so many people need something from you all the time that I think that that's really where the battle is. It's less with the spouse thing. It's just the, on top of everything else of feeling like you, you lose yourself. Well, I once had dreams. I once had this goal, but now I have all these other people who need me and I don't have those goals anymore or I've lost them. Um, you haven't. God has purposed you and given you much to do there, um, aspirations, but the Lord is doing a work in you and in your life and in the people that he's given to you and to entrust. So um, it's easy to feel that way, but submission is not losing yourself. It's becoming who God has asked you to do. Um, and we use it a lot in our marriage of, um, you know, there's things that he'll say or whatever, and I may not always be 100% on board, but hey, I trust you. Actually, I mean, I know the biggest one. The biggest one was when we, um, and it was, uh, <laughs> the biggest one was when we were, he came to me talking about planting a church, and I was like, nope, not interested. Not, that was not part of the plan. Uh-uh, mm-mm. I'm okay with ministry, not doing the church plant thing, because we'd heard a lot of horror stories of situations where, I mean, husbands were working full-time jobs and then doing a full-time church plant thing, and you're just drowning in motherhood and, and having to do it and never seeing him and the kids never being a part of that. I was not on board for that. Um, and then through a series of events, the Lord worked on my heart and changed things. And um, I remember coming to him and telling him, I'm scared but I trust you because I know that you love us and you will never do anything to hurt us. And so I'm not super excited about it, but I submit to what you're telling me to do um, and I'll go wherever you go. Um, and that was scary, but it was hard, but it was good. I think that's a good, actually a good caveat that you said even for, for men too. And I think this is something that we're seeing more and more in our culture and why some people are struggling with marriage is this whole idea of identity. Right? Like, I don't want to lose myself in someone else. And I, I hear that from men, too, from, just like from women. And I think that the, the problem with that is there is a sinful bent in that mentality for all of us. That my individualism and my goals and my plan should trump everything else. When the reality is if God's called you to marry that person, then that's his primary plan for your life. He's way more concerned about what you're doing with your spouse and your kids than what you're doing in your career or your finances or your hobbies or anything else. And so if you're coming to a place where you're like, I can't sacrifice anything that I want in this relationship because I feel like I'm losing myself, well, then you've misplaced your priorities in what's most important for your life. And that's not just women. That's men, too. I hear it from men all the time. Usually with men, it's different stuff. It's like career or hobbies and I shouldn't have to give up this. I love doing this on the weekends. Or, dude, when you said I do, you gave up all of that. Like, you have no more rights, all right? Like, you're now submitted to this together. And whatever this looks like is what it looks like. You need to work that out and not be so much me, me, me in that. So, it's good stuff. All right, here's a meaningful one for churches. So, you talked a lot about, you know, today we talked about roles. We talked about forgiveness and forbearance. How does that all apply if your spouse isn't a believer or doesn't even doesn't follow those ideas? How does how does that apply? How does that work? Right. Yeah. That's that's a good question because I know that we do have several that are in that position, men and women. Um, 
And I, actually, the verse I was looking for earlier when you were talking about the first question, I didn't quite find the verse, but it basically says this, that, that if you're married to an unbeliever, that you should continue to stay married and love them and stay with them because your godly character in front of them might actually be what brings them to the Lord, which is our most important thing, right? Like, our, we, it, it would be great to have a, a marriage where we're, both people are following Christ and we're equally loving and we're equally following, we're fulfilling the roles. Man, that is what we're going for. But if, we, if that's not available right now, what's the most important thing? The most important thing is that I'm getting to show the person I love the most what it looks like to follow Christ, hoping that they'll do the same. And so I think that's really the encouragement to it is, is think about it not so much as I'm doing my side, they're not doing their side, this isn't fair, although it's not. And there are times where it will definitely feel that way. Um, think of it more as God has put me in a position to be his instrument of grace in the life of my spouse. And to let that is, and as many trials as that brings, as much pressure and as uncomfortable as it is sometimes, he's given that to you. And if you're faithful to do it, even if you do it poorly at times, if you stay with it and you follow Jesus and you're faithful in that, God will honor that. He will. I don't know how, I don't know where, I don't know when. I can't promise you, there's not a verse I can give you that promises you that your spouse will come to know Jesus. But I do promise to you that when you get to heaven, you will hear, well done, good and faithful servant, if you've done that. The verse is 1 Corinthians seven fourteen. For the unbelieving husband is made holy because of his wife, and the unbelieving wife is made holy because of her husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean. It goes on from other things there. But um, there, I would say there's one practical thing I would say within those situations is remember your authority is first, you're first submitting to, to Christ, and then it's the husband. And even if an unbelieving man is not under the authority of Christ, the, um, the important part is remembering that you're submitting to God the Father first, that he's the one. He's, he's the one you're submitting to. And as you're doing these things, like he said, it's presenting the gospel to them. But there's going to be times when you feel led to do something. Like we've counseled in situations where someone wants to tithe and their husband's not a believer. How do you do that? Well, we say have a conversation Share your heart. Say, I know you don't feel this. You don't believe this. Go ahead. Pray a Pray. lot. Yeah. Then talk. <laughs> then go have a conversation. Yeah. Timing, prayer, discernment, wisdom. Ask for wisdom. God says he gives it abundantly. Um, and you go to him gently and say, hey, um, I feel really strongly about giving to my church. And I know that that's not, on, not your thing. But would you consider allowing me to give something and what would you feel comfortable doing that for, with? And getting that. And if he still says, nope, not interested, submitting to him and saying, okay, that's fine, shows him a level of significance and respect. You're doing those things underneath, following him and allowing him to lead in that moment will win his heart even more. Right. And so letting those things go um, now there's things that are definite. If he's asking you to be truly sinful, no. You've got to follow in obedience to Christ. He's asking you to go steal some money from your work. Absolutely not. Right. But if it's things that we can submit to 
and the Lord is gracious towards us? Absolutely. 